welcome to another episode of Pilates Elephants with your host, Raphael Bender. That's me. Today, I want to talk about pain in the upper traps, the upper shoulder and neck region, and uh, what causes it, and most importantly, what's to be done about it. So when I was a kid in Pilates years, uh, I was always taught that, uh, you know, tension in the upper traps um, was common and that uh, overactivity, you know, of the upper traps was the the cause of that and that uh, therefore, you know, part of my job as a Pilates instructor was to help my clients, most of my clients, reduce the activity or the recruitment of their upper traps and, you know, in or relax their shoulders, in other words, and increase the recruitment of their lower traps and middle traps and serratus anterior and all those other good muscles. Maybe, dear listener, you were indoctrinated in something similar, and um, that's what I want to talk about today. So over the years, I've um, looked at a lot of research on this. We teach about this in the Diploma of Clinical Pilates. And uh, in order in prepare, prepare, <laughs> in preparing for this episode, I have spent uh, several hours on Google Scholar, uh, neck deep in systematic reviews and meta-analyses. And we're fortunate in, um, in one way that this is a very well-researched topic. I've been able to locate, I reckon, like a dozen systematic reviews and meta-analyses all published in the last four years on neck pain and, um, you know, what causes it and what's to be done for it and comparing different uh, modes of exercise uh, for neck pain. So uh, that's very good. Uh, the What's not so good <laughs> is most of them are quite inconclusive, but we do have a couple of gold nuggets that I've been able to glean, which I'm going to share with you over the course of this little chat. All right. So it's, you know, it is common for people to experience tension or pain in their upper traps. And although, you know, in, in uh, the Pilates world, we often assume that it is um, the ex- subjective experience of tension in a muscle is equivalent to the muscle actually being tense. Uh, that's often not the case. And if you want a much more detailed look at the science and physiology on that statement, check out uh, the episode. I'm not can't remember the number of the episode. It was only like two or three episodes before this one. It was called can we even feel our muscles working? Uh, so that go back and listen to that one if you're interested in uh, why uh, we can't necessarily distinguish when our muscles are active or not, even though we often feel that we can. So anyway, we often have this feeling, which is a real feeling, even though it doesn't necessarily correlate with the uh, objectively measured activity in the muscles. Uh, so what's to be done about it? Should we relax our upper traps or, you know, should we do something else? And, well, firstly, I want to uh, investigate what the diagnosis would be. Now, of course, as Pilates instructors, we it's not our place to diagnose, but to understand 
you know, what is known about the causes of this, let's think about the diagnosis or the diagnoses, plural, that might be attributed or associated with pain or overactive upper traps. So in some papers, it's referred to as trapezius myalgia, which sounds pretty scary, perhaps, but trapezius is just obviously the name of the muscle, and myo means muscle, and algia means pain. So trapezius myalgia literally means muscle pain in the trapezius, trapezius muscle pain. That's what it means. So it's a diagnosis that simply describes the symptom. And as I've said before on this show, when you have a diagnosis that is just a description of the symptom, uh, that almost invariably indicates that we don't know what causes the symptom. Because if we knew what causes the symptom, we'd diagnose the cause of the symptom rather than just describing it. So uh, trapezius myalgia is something that is often called, but that is not a uh, widely agreed legitimate diagnosis because it simply just says you've got pain in your upper trapezius. (laughs) So it's like, well, what good is that? (laughs) I mean, if doctor, doctor, I've got pain in my upper trapezius, I diagnose you with trapezius myalgia. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's what I just told you. So, um, yeah, so that's not a very useful diagnosis because it's literally what the client just told us is the problem. <laughs> so um, the, actually, the actual uh, clinical diagnosis that is associated with upper trapezius pain is non-specific neck pain. Yes, folks, non-specific neck pain. <laughs> so according to the clinical practice guidelines for physical therapy assessment and treatment in patients with nonspecific neck pain from the Royal Dutch College of Physiotherapy in 27, um, sorry, March 2018, uh, published in the journal Physico, Physical Therapy. Uh, their definition of nonspecific neck pain, well, they basically they say there are two kinds of neck pain in the world. Uh, one kind is called specific and the other kind is called nonspecific. And in the clinical guidelines, the specific pain, specific neck pain is defined as pain that is arises from spinal fracture or vertebral artery dissection, spinal cord injury, infection, cancer, or systemic diseases like ankylosing spondylitis or systemic lupus. So these are all you know, serious medical conditions that can result in neck pain. And any neck pain that is associated neck pain that is associated with any of those is called specific neck pain. And neck pain that is not associated with one of those things is called non-specific neck pain. So that in non-specific neck pain includes neck pain that is uh, related, that is associated with a disc bulge or stenosis or disc degeneration or facet joint arthritis or you know overactive upper trapezius or um, you know, any other head forward posture or any other diagnosis that someone might have that doesn't, you know, fall under that uh, umbrella of, you know, spinal fracture, vertebral artery dissection, spinal cord injury, infection, cancer, systemic disease like ankylosing spondylitis or lupus. If it's not one of those, it's non specific neck pain. And non specific neck pain is uh, specifically to, defined as pain between the inferior nuchal line, which is basically at the back of your head where that, if you feel at the back of your head, there's kind of a bump 
uh, at, at the center, at the base of your cranium there. That's the superior, sorry, the superior nuchal line. I think I said inferior a minute ago, but it's the superior nuchal line. And then, so it's between the superior nuchal line and the uh, scapular spine, between the nuchal line and the scapular spine. And now I've actually just got myself confused about whether it's the superior or inferior nuchal line. So I'm just going to go look it up for you. Yes, it is the superior nuchal line. <laughs> All right. Wrong first time, right second time. So yeah, it's the superior nuchal line, which is where, which is the insertion point of your upper trapezius muscle. It's the insertion point of your suboccipital muscles. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty prominent bony uh, bump on the sort of base of your skull there. Uh, and you know, below that point is your neck, and above that point is your head. Uh, so that is the superior nuchal line, and then your scapular spine. If you put your hand over your shoulder and feel the bony ridge of your scapula, that's horizontal ridge of your scapula that goes out to your shoulder, that is the scapular spine. So pain, anywhere, pain or uh, muscle tension or discomfort, anywhere in between those two points, that is not associated with spinal fracture, vertebral artery dissection, spinal cord injury, infection, cancer, or ankylosing spondylitis, is defined defined as non-specific neck pain, and uh, it's actually more even more specifically defined as an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage. So there doesn't need to be tissue damage for there to be pain. All right. So if you've got upper trapezius overactivity, you've got pain in your neck and you don't have ankylosing spondylitis or a spinal fracture or vertebral artery dissection, you've got nonspecific neck pain. So why is, why is that useful to know? Well, when we're looking for uh, treatments, you know, what exercise is best for this thing? Well, we want to look for what's best for non-specific neck pain. Now, there are some studies on trapezius myalgia specifically, but not many. Uh, but there are a truckload of studies on non-specific neck pain. So, uh, and the studies on trapezius myalgia actually find the same thing as the studies that are more broadly looking at non-specific neck pain. So, uh, because trapezius myalgia is non-specific <laughs> neck pain, it's the same thing. So, uh, the first thing is, you know, we have this, right, so we've, we, it's, it's non-specific neck pain if, if you've got, you know, pain in your upper traps, tightness in your upper traps. So, what causes that? Now, is it tightness in your upper traps that's causing it? Well, quite likely not. Uh, we don't know really what causes neck pain or really any pain, really. I mean, we don't know what causes back pain. We don't know what causes shoulder pain. We don't know what causes knee pain. And we don't know what causes neck pain. But we have some hints. Uh, a systematic review from... 2021, uh, sorry, 2020 from uh, December 2020 from the Journal of Pain compared central pain processing, so that's pain process processing in the brain and spinal cord in people with neck and uh, neck pain and healthy individuals. They did a systematic review and meta-analysis. Uh, they included uh, 25 studies. 25 studies in their uh, review. And what they found was 
moderate quality evidence of mechanical hyperalgesia at remote, non-painful sites in patients with non-traumatic neck pain compared with controls. That was a quote. So what that means is evidence of mechanical hyperalgesia. So hyper means you know more than usual and algesia is pain. And so mechanical hyperalgesia is where people are very sensitive. You know, more they are more sensitive than usual to being, you know, poked or pricked with a pin or pinched. And, you know, they they find those things more painful than the average person. So what this is saying uh, is that they found moderate quality evidence of mechanical hyperalgesia at remote, non-painful sites in patients with non-traumatic neck pain compared with control. So for people with neck pain, their back and their wrist and their calf muscle were more sensitive to being pinched, poked, or prodded than people without neck pain. And what that tends to suggest is that these people have a generalized hypersensitivity to pain. So they're experiencing neck pain perhaps in part, not because of anything in particular that's going on in the neck, but because of something that's going on in the central nervous system that makes all of their tissues and all of their nervous system more sensitive to generate a pain experience. So that was a systematic review from 2020. But then we have another systematic review and meta-analysis from uh, 2021, Pressure Pain Thresholds in Office Workers with Chronic Neck Pain, a systematic review and meta-analysis, which found all pressure pain threshold measurements were not significantly reduced in office workers with chronic neck pain compared with healthy workers. (laughs) However, these assumptions were based on a small sample of existing studies and therefore further studies are necessary to quantify the differences in pressure pain uh, thresholds. So they didn't find evidence of increased pain sensitivity in people with neck pain. So Maybe people with neck pain have increased pain sensitivity. Maybe they don't. The jury's still out. So what are the risk factors for neck and shoulder pain? Does it come from excessive computer use or you know, being female or being overweight? Uh, and this systematic review from uh, 2020 called Risk Factors for Nonspecific Neck Pain in Young Adults, a systematic review by Jare et al. found, looked at uh, half a dozen next fact, uh, risk factors, female sex, body mass index, physical activity, duration of computer use, and perceived stress. And they found basically no or inconsistent uh, evidence of association of any of those things as a risk factor for uh, upper uh, neck, you know, non-specific neck pain, neck and shoulder pain. So, what do you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, what does cause neck pain? Well, we don't really know. Uh, is it movement dysfunction? You know, maybe if you're, you know, not using your neck muscles correctly. Some, you know, muscles are overworking, other muscles are underworking, your neck's in the wrong position. Um, you know, you're overactivating your sternocleidomastoids and scalenes and underactivating your deep neck flexors, et cetera. Uh, well, the systematic review 
Quartic from uh, 2022 looked at this question and looked at if they called the title of that uh, of this review effectiveness of specific neck exercise, neck exercise for non-specific neck pain, usefulness of strategies for patient selection and tailored exercise, a systematic review with meta-analysis from the General Physical Therapy in February 2022. And what they found was that use of tests to select participants based on motor control deficits, or in other words, you know, moving funny, not using their muscles correctly, uh, use of those tests cannot be recommended because when we target exercise to people like uh, sort of neck, you know, movement control exercises, we target those exercises to people based on tests of, you know, so we do we do a test of is your neck moving correctly? So maybe we get someone to do like a craniocervical flexion, like a head nod, right? And we try and get them to pivot on their sort of C1 and C2 and cranium without engaging their sternocleidomastoids, right? That's a test I was taught when I was a kid. Uh, and so then we, you know, we identify who, you know, uses their sternocleidomastoids or who does like head forwards and whatever. And those people get targeted motor control interventions or like movement retraining, you know, head nods and deep neck stabilization, all that kind of stuff to correct their neck, you know, dysfunctional, quote, movement patterns. What we find is when we use those tests to uh, identify who needs these exercises, the people who we give these exercises to based on those tests don't do any better or worse than the people who don't even get a test, right? So the tests are no better than a coin flip at identifying people who have you know, who will benefit from motor control exercise. So in other words, it's not caused by movement dysfunction because we don't have any test capable of detecting such a movement dysfunction or discriminating who's going to benefit from neck uh, muscle retraining. So, so far, more questions than answers, dear listener. Uh, so, and that's why they call it non-specific neck pain, right? So, non-specific, the 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 the, the definition of non-specific pain doesn't mean that the experience of pain is not in a specific location. So, you might have pain in a very specific place in your neck. You might be able to pain, point to it and go, "It's right there. I can feel it. It's right there. It's in this very specific place." But it still can be called non-specific neck pain because the non-specific in non-specific pain refers to the cause. And what it means is we can't identify a specific tissue that is the cause of the pain. So it doesn't mean that there isn't a cause, and it doesn't mean that the pain is not experienced in a very specific location. What it means is we don't currently have the ability to identify what the cause is. So we can do as many MRIs and CTs and ultrasounds as we like. We can do as many, you know, muscle activation tests and EMG tests and craniocervical flexion tests as we like. And we can't tell the difference between people with neck pain, people without neck pain. And we can't tell the difference between, uh, we can't, I, there's nothing in any of those tests that will indicate some particular structure is the cause of the pain or some particular, you know, passion of activation or alignment or anything is the cause of the pain. So we don't know what causes it, right? So non-specific neck pain, you could translate that in your mind to pain of unknown origin. 
really. We don't know what causes it. So, you know, it's non-specific neck pain. And so no surprise, we don't know what causes it. Because if we knew what caused it, <laughs> it by definition, it wouldn't be non-specific neck pain. It would be specific neck pain because we'd know the cause. All right. So what do we do for non-specific neck pain? Well, there are multiple systematic reviews and meta-analyses looking at this all in the last few years. I mean, we've got these going back ages, but I was spoiled for choice. So I was able to select only systematic reviews from 2019 onwards. Uh, and so just a few highlights. Uh, and what do these these reviews typically look at is they compare uh, various different categories of exercise. So systematic reviews always look at uh, you know multiple research studies on a topic and try and aggregate or overview the results of those studies. So rather than just looking at a single study, we look at the you know closer to the totality of the evidence on a topic. So when we do a, when they do systematic reviews on this topic, what they generally look at is different categories of exercise. So they'll look at, for example, stretching, you know, neck stretching versus neck strengthening versus neck motor control. You know, motor control is like, you know, segmental stabilization. So sort of activation of the deep neck flexors, you know, without activating the, the surface muscles, for example. Or they'll look at, you know, neck strengthening versus shoulder strengthening. Or they'll look at, you know, neck strengthening versus ergonomic interventions at work. You know, so they'll look at different um, modalities. Or some of the, sometimes they look at like, you know, Pilates versus yoga versus, you know, strengthening or whatever. So that we've got a bunch of different comparisons here. And each uh, comparison is, you know, a dozen or 20 or 30 studies that have been aggregated. So one uh, systematic review. Uh, from, oh, no, I've already looked at that one. Um, motor control uh, exercises uh, from 2019. Motor control using craniocervical flexion exercises versus other treatments for non-specific chronic neck pain, a systematic view and meta-analysis from Martin Gomez et al., um, what they found was motor control. So this is like, you know, deep neck flexor, um, you know, retraining essentially was effective, but it's not more effective than strengthening. So deep neck flexor training does help uh, and it's better than doing nothing, but it's not better than just general neck strengthening. And then Another systematic review from 2020 called Effectiveness and Optimal Dosage of Exercise Training for Chronic Nonspecific Neck Pain, a systematic review with a narrative synthesis from Price et al. They found that uh, motor control and strength and neck strengthening. So this is specifically like basically resisted neck movements. So, you know, resisted neck extension with a flex band or resisted neck flexion with a flex band or isometric holds of the neck with a flex band, that type of thing. Um, both of those are equally effective. Uh, and 
Then yet another systematic review titled, if it'll open for me, titled Comparative Effectiveness of Physical Exercise Interventions for Chronic Non-Specific Neck Pain, a systematic review with network meta-analysis of 40 randomized controlled trials. It's quite a mouthful by Desote et al. from, what year was it? Don't know. It was definitely in the last couple of years because that's what I limited my search to, but I can't see the year here on the page that I'm looking at. Uh, They found there is not one superior type of physical exercise for people with chronic non-specific neck pain. This is a quote. Rather, there is very low quality evidence that motor control, yoga, Pilates, Tai Chi, Qigong, and strengthening exercises are equally effective. (laughs) Very low quality evidence that all of the above are equally effective. All right. Now, uh, and yet another systematic review. This one from uh, 2022 called Exercise-Induced Hypoalgesia. So that's hypo means reduced and algesia is pain. Effects of different types of physical exercise in individuals with neck pain, a systematic review and meta-analysis. And what they found is that isometric neck exercise and loaded range of motion exercises for the neck both reduced neck pain. Uh, and then a another systematic review from of workplace interventions for neck neck pain in office workers from uh, 2020 called Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis Suggests Strength Training and Workplace Modifications May Reduce Neck Pain in Office Workers by uh, Frutiger et al. They found that strength training was the most effective uh, intervention for neck pain in office workers. It was more effective than ergonomics, more effective than stretching, more effective than frequent breaks, more effective than retraining um, or any other intervention that they studied. Uh, But that was in the short term. But basically, by the long term, most things had kind of evened out and most things worked just a little bit. Um, And the effect sizes in this study were not spectacular, like on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being the worst pain imaginable, one being, you know, no pain. You know, most things reduced pain by about a one out of 10, whereas uh, non-supervised strengthening exercises, unsupervised strengthening exercises, reduced pain by about a bit more than two out of 10 points. Um so that was those were the most effective, but that was only in the short term. And in fact, the most the most effective of about a dozen different interventions that they looked at, non-supervised strengthening exercises were the most effective uh, by a fairly significant margin. So they uh, you know reduced pain by two point two five out of ten. So two two and a quarter points on a one to ten scale. Uh, whereas something like, um, you know, workplace, um, you know, uh, ergonomic training reduced pain by half a point on a one to 10 scale. So 
pretty negligible. Most people couldn't even detect that difference. So strengthening for the win. Uh, all right. So where does – oh, there's, sorry, there's one more here I want to talk to you about, which is a the most recent paper I was able to find, which is a 2023 systematic review called Effects of Scapular Interventions on Pain and Disability in Subjects with Neck Pain, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Randomized Controlled Trials by Prakash et al. from 2023. Uh, and so they looked at scapular interventions – so in other words, just anything to do with the shoulder girdle uh, in relation to neck pain. And so there were different types of interventions that they looked at in the shoulder girdle. So there were you know, stabilization type exercises where, you know, it's about the positioning of the shoulders. So, you know, shoulders away from ears and broad chest and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and there were also strengthening exercises mixed in there that were like targeting the rhomboids and the trapezius and the serratus anterior and all of those things. Uh, and what, and then there were combined neck and shoulder strengthening exercises, and then there were neck only strengthening exercises. And this was a systematic review, and I can't remember how many studies they looked at. I think they had, let me just find it here. They only had five trials included with 116 participants, so it's it's a bit underpowered, I would say. I don't get too excited about the results here. Uh, but what they found was that combining scapular strengthening with neck strengthening was the most effective uh, treatment. So better than neck strengthening alone, better than scapular strengthening alone, neck and shoulder strengthening, because surprise, surprise, a lot of the neck muscles also move the shoulder. So uh, that kind of intuitively makes sense to me. Uh, so, you know, but that's only 116 participants, you know, do with it what you will. <laughs> okay. So where does that leave us? All right. There's a whole lot of question marks. Uh, I didn't mention it. Um, most of those studies, but most of them had low to moderate quality evidence, so like high risk of bias. So the studies weren't very, you know, very well conducted, or there was evidence of publication bias, which means people not publishing studies that found no effect, and then publishing the studies that found an effect. So there's kind of an asymmetry there. So you know what that. All in all, it means is we don't know why people experience pain or discomfort or a feeling of tightness in their upper traps. It may have something to do with central nervous system sensitization, or maybe not. We can't identify any particular anatomical structure, alignment, muscle activation pattern or movement strategy, or even just an age, you know, posture, whatever, body weight that contributes to, you know, that is a, as a, that is a consistent risk factor for this. Hours of computer use don't predict it. And we don't, we don't have any, you know, magic exercise for neck pain. Stretching can help. Relaxation can help. You know, adjusting the height of your monitor can help, but all of these things help just a teeny bit, just a teeny bit, so little that most people wouldn't notice the difference. The thing that does seem to consistently help across all of the systematic reviews that I've found is strengthening. So that's 
directly strengthening the neck. So like resisted neck movements or resisted neck isometric holds. And we do a lot of that in Pilates, you know, just things like lifting your head in the hundred, that's neck strengthening or doing a leg pull front or a plank, you know, holding your head up when you do that, doing a swan dive, holding your head up when you do that. All of these, a side plank. Okay. All of these are loaded neck exercise. Now you can also add external resistance to the neck by adding in a flex band, uh, although they slip off pretty easy and you have to hold them on with your with your hands in my experience. Um, or you can also buy really like great little head harnesses. Um, you can get them on eBay, you can get them on Amazon, um, you can buy them from specialist companies. Um, I've got one that I really like called Iron Neck. Uh, that's just a head harness. It was like, I don't know, 50 or $80 or something like that. And it's got just a bunch of carabiners on it at, you know, the front, the back, the side, whatever. And you can just hook stuff onto it. So you can hook a spring onto it and put it on your Cadillac, or you can hook your reformer strap onto it and sit on your reformer and do, you know, resisted head flexion, head or neck flexion, neck extension, neck side bending against spring resistance. You can hook a band onto it. Uh, you can hook a pulley onto it on a weight, weight stack. Um, so you can, you know, you could just hook it onto a hook on the ground or the wall or, uh, you know, or, or a hook on like an eye hook on a Cadillac uh, and just do isometric neck work with it. So I really love those. You can get them on eBay for about like $15 US. They're cheap as chips. Um, and I, I really love them. So, uh, I think neck strengthening for the win. And, uh, if we go back to that Royal Dutch college of, uh, physiotherapy, uh, clinical practice guidelines for physical therapy assessment and treatment in patients with non-specific neck pain from, uh, 2017, uh, sorry, 2018, which is the most recent clinical practice guideline we have for neck pain. Uh, what they recommend is strengthening and try not to worry too much. And if we want to get a little bit more um, you know, precise with that, we could say that their, definite, their recommendation is strengthening exercise, explain the favorable prognosis. So most neck pain goes away, particularly if you exercise, and address psychosocial factors. So things like fear, stress, poor sleep, you know, things like that and give manual therapy. So those are the recommendations, the guideline recommendations for chronic non-specific neck pain. So neck pain has been going on more than six weeks. Uh, and, you know, manual therapy could be go see a chiropractor or whatever, or it could be just like get your part, get your, your spouse to give you a neck massage at night or whack a spiky ball on it, right? It could be self-massage or it could be done by a professional or it could be done by a loved one. It all works just as good. So that's it, folks. Non-specific neck pain, you know, upper trapezius tightness, strengthen it. Don't worry about relaxing it. Get a massage and uh, try not to worry too much. So uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And I'll link, I'll link to all of those systematic reviews in the show notes. If you want to read the research yourself, just look at the show notes and you can click through. Uh, and sometimes the, the show notes don't come through, depending on what uh, podcast app you're listening on. Sometimes the links don't push through. So if that's the case, you can just go to our website. So just go like go to Google and type in like Pilates elephants, are your upper traps really 
overactive and you'll find our webpage and on our webpage for this um for this episode all of the links are there and that's the case for every episode and if you really want to learn more about this like if you want to know like okay well specifically how do i strengthen next and specifically how do i address psychosocial factors uh, and you know how do i weed out those people who don't have non-specific neck pain? How do I identify people who have spinal fracture or vertebral artery dissection or ankylosing spondylitis or whatever it might be? Well, you should come do the Diploma of Clinical Pilates. And if you're listening to this prior to the 21st of August, 2023, you still have the opportunity to do that. So you should look in the show notes. And if uh, you're listening to this before the 21st of August, 2023, tap on the link there and talk to one of my team about the diploma because it is a full year deep dive into highly evidence-based uh, care of how do we apply current best practice for people with all kinds of injuries in Pilates. All right, dear listener, thanks very much. Hope you found this useful. Much love and I'll see you in the next one. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.